Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. It's our Southridge member podcast, helping give all of us the inside scoops of what's going on in the life of our church. And uh, I've got with me today our shelter volunteer coordinator, uh, Erica Singer. Erica, say hi to everybody. Hi everyone. As we continue to navigate this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, you're one person who hasn't had to work from home as much. Talk about how that's been going. Yeah, I have. Um, I work from home during the mornings, um, but I actually come in and serve and prepare meals. Um, Monday to Friday, me and my roommate make dinner. Um, yeah, so that's just completely different than my normal role, but it's been fun to learn. And yeah, just it's been nice to be around people a little bit as well. I bet. So even though we're, we are recording this remotely, uh, as we have been uh, throughout this pandemic, uh, you're actually in the office today in, yeah. a, in a in a quiet place and uh, around the building that so many of us haven't been around for so long. Yes. Yeah. I've locked myself in an office and it's nice and quiet and it allows me to get some stuff done. So what uh, what does that rhythm of half from home, half kind of in the building and in the kitchen around the shelter, uh, what does that, how does that work for you? Which, which do you tend to like better? Um, yeah, I just, I, when I'm at home, I just work at the kitchen table or outside when it's nice. Um, but I prefer to be in the shelter. Just I'm a number seven on the Enneagram. So I thrive with people. So it's been nice to at least be around people a little bit. Um, I prefer to be in the shelter, but, um, I just find that balance each day. So being home isn't uh, a reprieve. It's more like being caged. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Yes, it's a little. So you get get out of your cage every day. Yes, yeah. So that's really nice. Good for my roommate too, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Hey, I want to talk about how you're navigating things in in your world, but let's kind of backtrack because I I love getting people's take just on the the history of their experience through COVID. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, the more months pass by, it, it seems increasingly like it was forever ago when everything started changing real drastically, real fast. Uh, can you remember back to just before March break when you were getting a sense that things were about to rapidly and drastically change? Yeah, I think probably the thing that stands out to me the most would be when we had to uh, cancel our Muskoka Woods trip. Um, it was the first time that I was attending, but also helping to facilitate it. Um, and we had to cancel, unfortunately, the night before, because it was just so much unknown and like uncertainty that was surrounding COVID. Um, yeah, so we didn't want to risk it. We for sure made the right call, obviously. But um, yeah, when we had to kind of cancel that huge event that everyone looks forward to during the year, I was like, oh, something in the world's drastically changing. And I just, it was hard to kind of keep up with that. But that was probably- I, I remember that and how, how devastating that was for not only participants, but for, for you guys as the facilitators of it. And yeah. part of part of what I remember was it, it was even hard for us to process why we would cancel it because we were getting, we were getting certain directives from Muskoka Woods themselves mm-hmm. where we were supposed to be uh, hosting this retreat and yeah. even trying to understand from their perspective- why they would recommend that we cancel this was was a bit awkward. Yeah, they wanted to obviously protect their staff. They have a lot of international staff that live there and work there. So they wanted to protect them, but they also wanted to protect us and, and our, our group. So um, yeah, we for sure made the right choice and it was definitely a hard choice to make. But um, 
I'm ready for next year, I guess. So that's exactly. Yeah. Rep- represented by that event or that that moment where where the Muskoka Woods shelter retreat got canceled. Um, in that early season of COVID, how were you feeling personally? Like, how did you experience that just, just uh, as, a, as a person? Um, yeah, I didn't really know how to feel at first. Um, I was obviously disappointed about Muskoka and I just, I didn't really know, like, obviously everything was super unknown. So we didn't really know how long this was going to go on for. So I was like, oh, just like a temporary blip in what we're kind of doing. Um, but as things became more serious and we canceled church on the Sunday, um, and like there was more restrictions put in, I started to get more worried about how like work life would look, um, how having volunteers, um, in the shelter would look and when I would actually be able to go home, uh, to St. Thomas to see my family. Um, so was th- when things started to get more serious, I was, I started to have some more fear for sure. Just, I don't know, that uncertainty brings along some fear, so and all of a sudden it sounds like all of the logistics started to kick in, mm-hmm. you know, like seeing your family, like how's it going to play out at work. And, and uh, yeah, you realized just, just how much of our lives are actually out of our control. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was probably the hardest part that we literally had no control over what was going on. The government was making those decisions and we had to follow those guidelines. And then it was just like, all right, we got to pick up the pieces kind of thing. Um, as we were going. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, can you remember back in those early kind of trajectory shaping days and moments, mm-hmm. uh, how you felt your faith was kicking in? Yeah. Um, I'd say probably like prayer was my biggest default. Um, just that protection over the shelter, just to keep everyone like staff and residents safe, but also, um, for friends and family I've got, um, like, obviously lots of people do, but my brother is autoimmune compromised. So Mm. my heart and worry automatically went to him. Um, So yeah, just like that prayer of prayer of protection, just kind of um, like kind of took over, but also that feeling of like anger and bitterness towards God kind of set in a little bit too as well, Mm. but um, been navigating that a little bit because there has been a lot of good and a lot of joy um, that has come through. How have you been able to navigate that? What have you learned? Um, I don't, oh, what have I learned? Um, I think I've learned that as humans, we just want control over everything. And it's just like, we literally cannot have any right now. Like there's no real way to have that control. Um, so just learning to give that control over to God has been super challenging um, and letting go of that anger and bitterness to really seek out the positives um, and like the good things are ha- that are happening. Um, yeah, I asked the question, Erica, because uh, you know so many people that I talk to are grieving things these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether I mean we're now into end of June and and people are grieving graduations. Yeah. And you know proms and those kinds of celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we've grieved retreats and things like that. And uh, there, there has been a spiritual need I've seen for people to discover and, and learn in, in growing ways how to just process their grief. Yeah, for sure. It's a huge thing. Like I've missed out on like lots of things back home, like Mother's Day. And um, it would have been three years ago in March that my brother had his liver transplant. So we didn't get to celebrate that together. And just like big life things that I normally would be home for. Just obviously I'm not able to be home. 
Um, yeah, so it is kind of that grieving process of those big life events or small life events that feel big, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, directing some of that towards God is natural. So yeah, it's cool to hear that you're you're uh, journeying through some of that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that one of your defaults was to engage in prayer and not just prayer for protection and for family, but specifically for the shelter and for the yeah. residents. Um, as a church leader, were there other th- preliminary thoughts that you that you had right as this thing hit? Um, my initial biggest concern was how the kitchen was going to run with no volunteers. Um, we had to quickly suspend all volunteer shifts. Um, and our kitchen is solely run, um, on volunteers. So my big concern was how are we going to feed 55 people seven days a week? Um, yeah, so that was a bit of, that was kind of my biggest thought. Um, and what we we had to cancel all programming as well. So that was kind of my biggest worry in the work world. Um, well, that segues into, into my next kind of section of how did we start initially responding to this? Cause I know that it, there were some drastic changes in your world as you're describing yeah. and you know, immediately when we couldn't even gather or meet or whatever, we started leveraging technology and trying to have some preliminary meetings and discussions as to how we were going to respond to things in, in, in you as a leader and in, the, the collection of leaders that you were working with, what were some early values that were emerging when it came to how we wanted the church and the ministry to move forward? Do you remember back that, that far? Oh, that was, it seems so long ago, but also not that far. Um, uh, yeah, I think probably one of the biggest thing was the, that feeling of community, like our, like the shelter focuses so much on relationships and that community that's there. Um, with volunteers and staff um, and between residents and all that. Um, so we really, our like big value was to focus on community and how, how we were going to do that when none of us could really be together. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, And just to, just to call a time out on that, Erica, because as people are listening, I, I, I want all of us to really t- track with, with that mm-hmm. first reaction or that default, because as as a church, yeah. uh, you know, we understand the church to be the incarnated life and love of Jesus. Mm. That that's that's something that only flows through community. So yeah. I know most people assume that the first thing that we thought about as church leaders was how to get our service online, mm. and a lot of other church leaders. You know, their their default assumption is, okay, I've got to get our weekend service into an online format. Mm-hmm. That was not our chief concern. Our chief concern was how can we cultivate and even strengthen the values of community throughout our ministry? Because that's what the church is ultimately built on. And it's cool in your world to know that that was kind of the starting point for where your conversations began. Yeah. Yeah, it was for sure the base of how we were going to do community well when we really could not be physically together. So, what what would you say as a leadership, especially in your your departmental area and in the shelter, were some of your initial goals as this crisis unfolded? Yeah, I think it still ties into that community, like just how how we were going to make sure people felt part of our community. We have a lot of past residents and people that are connected to the shelter. Um, that depend on the community in the shelter that come to the programs weekly um, that we're looking forward to Muskoka. Like this is such a beautiful community here. 
and that was like the physical part of that was taken away and our big thing was to figure out a way to just cultivate how we can like community um in a physical distancing kind of way um just to make sure people feel loved and um supported appreciated just communicated with um yeah it's been it's been an interesting process to figure out how to do that well and would you say there were any other kind of unique or even practical challenges that action ministry in general was facing, or was that pretty much, I don't want to minimize it, but did that kind of summarize it? How do we cultivate community? Were there other challenges that you can remember? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the community thing is probably the biggest just because um, as like the action department, our whole world just revolves around people and coordinating and meeting with and getting to know people developing programs, getting people plugged into those, um, and building relationships. So I think in my mind, that was probably the, the biggest thing that we were kind of faced with at the beginning and, and still are. And would you say there was anything like when, when it comes to the uniquenesses of our church, mm-hmm. were there, were there any ways that that made transitioning harder or easier? What would you say about that? I think because we are a church that is so based on relationship and community that it, it made it a little, like it made our goal to provide that community in a different way. Like that was our goal, but it was a huge challenge because we do, our goal is to do life together in community. And it's just hard when the physical distancing part is put into place and we can't really do that. Um, Yeah. So it, set up our goals to make sure that we were really focusing on community and what that looks like and how to do that well, but also made it challenging because we couldn't physically be together. Um, but yeah, yeah. Be, being a, being a ministry built on the tagline friendship makes the difference Yes, is sure hard when you're socially isolated and expected to be physically distant. Yes, extremely challenging for sure. B- bottom line, that's so that's the challenge we've been facing. Yeah. Um, as we shift gears and get into how we've responded, or particularly in your world, how you've responded to this, you, you'd mentioned already that obviously one of our chief concerns is just maintaining our service to the homeless of St. Catharines. And so when you talk about even specifically the kitchen mm-hmm. and our lack of capacity to even really leverage volunteers, especially at the beginning, um, talk about what had to what had to change at the shelter or even specifically in the kitchen in order for that serving 55 residents every day with three meals and roof over their head. Uh, what had to change for that to continue? Yeah, so like I said, we had to uh, suspend all volunteer shifts. Um, so immediately, Sammy and I came up with a plan to, um, my roommate and I were doing lunch and dinners because at first when COVID started, we thought, oh, it'll be two or three weeks we'll get back to kind of normal life um, and then we'll be good to go. So my roommate and I were doing lunch and dinners for a couple of weeks and quickly realized that that was unsustainable and um, that this was going to last way longer than we expected. So we had to develop a plan that um, would be sustainable. So we've had other staff come in and fill in spots for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We've had, um, we have one volunteer that is just so key um, that she comes in and does lunch during the week just to, we just needed the the help and needed some, um, yeah, just some first support as well. Um, yeah, yeah. How has that changed now, now that we're a, a couple or a few months in from 
you and your roommate basically trying to do all the all the meal preparation yourselves. Uh, how has how is that more? We do have some volunteers that are that are stepping in now. Yeah, so we've got a couple that come in. Um, yeah, just to fill in some spots, just because staff are still working their full time jobs from home or here. Um, so we just needed a couple extra hands to kind of come in. But yeah, I never expected I would uh, learn how to cook for fifty five people in a job that doesn't involve cooking. So that's been. Um, yeah, it's been quite the challenge, but it's been a, an enjoyable challenge for sure. But. What uh, I know people who are listening are probably curious, what precautions mm-hmm. are being taken to ensure everyone's safety these days? Yeah, there's been, at first, there was sometimes daily new procedures and protocols that the region was passing to Sammy and she was passing to the staff um, about changes that had to happen in the shelter, just with trying to enforce physical distancing and um different COVID screenings that sometimes change every day. And um, yeah, just a lot of different procedures that have been kind of passed on from the region. Um, So there's been a lot of that. There's plexiglass up at the front desk now. Um, The staff have just been absolute champions, Um, just kind of rolling with it, but also challenging it as well. Um, Yeah, they, they deserve a huge shout out because they are yeah, they are truly the hands and feet and they're really on the front lines. Yeah, their mm-hmm. courage and perseverance has just been incredible to watch. And uh, kind of well, and you're, under, you're underscoring the challenge of all that. I mean, navigating life on the front lines, obviously that's challenging in and of itself. But when you talk about the protocols mm-hmm. uh, being directed by the regional government, particularly because of our partnership with them uh, to support homelessness in this way, uh, those protocols have been changing literally sometimes multiple times a day. Yes. And yeah. so it's one thing to institute new protocols. It's another thing to be constantly changing on the fly on that level of instability. I know that's been a huge challenge uh, yeah. it, over and above just the the anxiety of, of working in a frontline role. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's hard because the the region passes information to Sammy, Sammy passes it to the staff, and then the staff have to implement it, but then also has to communicate it with 55 residents. So it's just this like constant change of um, protocols. But as of now, as of lately, things have been kind of um, leveled out a little bit, some little changes here and there. Um, But it seems to kind of be in a bit more of a better rhythm now. It's a little more established now. I mean, we've had other podcasts where we've talked about the simultaneous to all this, the shelter capacity expansion Mm -hmm. and the hires and the reorgs and whatever. So we're kind of changing on top of rapid change. How's that all going these days? Uh, Yeah, there has been a whole ton of changes. Aside from COVID, we've got uh, a new outreach team that uh, works out of here. We've got an expanded housing first and home for good team. So just more coordinating for, for Sammy and that team and um, yeah, getting all that done. So it's not just COVID changing, it's their staff changing and people are moving to different positions and, and learning how to do that well. And, but with COVID um, procedures kind of wrapped all around that. So yeah, it's wild. a hot mess, but like in a good or <laughs> hot mess kind of way. If I feel like that kind of describes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, how, so, it, you know, if people are listening and they want to help support or, or you know, contribute to uh, the shelter and, and kind of what's going on there right now, you know, what would you say in a time like this? Um, I think just like probably the biggest thing would be prayer for the shelter. Um, 
yeah, for the health and safety of staff and residents. I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, yeah, and just sending encouraging words and, hey, thinking of you for for the staff um, and the residents as well. Like they're, yeah, they're in the trenches and, and, it's, and it can be quite challenging. So I think just prayer um, for them. But um, donations are always amazing. Um, if people are interested in doing that, there's a list on the website that we have. Um, or you can reach out to, um, to me as well, and I can give you some more specific um, uh, ask uh, things as well. So Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, I know one of the ways that you guys have pivoted, particularly in your world, mm-hmm. knowing that you know, so often we're leveraging our programs in order to drive this lifestyle of full devotion and specifically in your world to drive a lifestyle of action. But with COVID, we haven't been able to have programs. No. And so, you know, that's forced you guys to now try to leverage some creativity and innovation to figure out how to actually drive that lifestyle. Talk about how those conversations have evolved. Yes, it's it's been kind of interesting. Um, yeah, we have our programs to kind of facilitate these unlikely friendships that we're trying to build um, and that the beautifulness that kind of surrounds that. Um, but with the programs kind of taken away, it's like, okay, now how do we make and kind of set up those unlikely friendships? Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, we've had to be very creative um, to develop and- and so, you know, moving moving into that, yeah. um, I know instead of offering all kinds of programs and rallying people to sign up for the programs and go to, you know, rock climbing and euchre and sports night and yoga and whatever, um, you, you guys have now initiated this, it's called socialized support and surprise, this, this yeah. system of connection. And this is really what I want to camp out on today. To yeah. Talk about kind of where this came from and what what this means yeah so we wanted to um yeah kind of build relationships with because the programs are taken out of it 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 just allows for things to go straight to like the friendships to be immediately made like there's no um let's play euchre together it's like okay let's support each other in um this super unprecedented time and um kind of world um but we've yeah we've developed a program that has volunteers and past residents um, communicating and becoming friends and building relationships that way. Um, Yeah, because a lot of our past residents, again, uh, like I said, depend on Southridge for community here. um, And that kind of is taken away. So that feeling of isolation and I'm I'm alone is very, very evident. Um, So we wanted to help to kind of navigate that and negate that a little bit and just um, yeah, develop friendships for people to support each other. And, um, things have been going incredibly well. There's some pretty amazing stories that have come out of it. Um, and it's, it's cool just to, to hear those stories and, um, that people like talk every day and it's just, it's not, I don't see these things just, Oh, COVID's over. We're not going to, we're not going to communicate that support between each other is not going to end. Um, these, I think, could be lifelong friendships that are kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's a, you guys have basically had to design a friendship fostering yes. system yes. of pairing people up. Yes, yeah. And so as you've been doing that, I mean, it's as crude as, you know, just taking lists and trying to broker <laughs> relationships yes. on those lists. Um, mm-hmm. give, give us a bit more detail on 
why you kind of organized your invitation around these three dynamics. Like what, what are you looking for in the socialize versus the support versus the surprise? What are those words intended to mean? Yeah. So socialize is, is just like getting to know somebody, like developing a friendship and what that looks like. Um, friendship being built is so important. And it's again, ties into what our church is all about. It's about the community um, and so that's really what we wanted to foster. Um, yeah, just socializing with the person, giving them a phone call, a text, a FaceTime. Um, people have been doing like social distancing coffees where they'll stand at the end of the driveway and somebody will stand at their house. Um, yeah, just that way to, to build the friendship and build relationships that way. Um, that's kind of the base of the program that we just want people to get to know each other and support each other in a super unprecedented time, really. Um, because everyone is dealing with the feeling of isolation and um, the grief that we were talking about and a little bit of that sadness. Right. So um, yeah, just a way to um, have people support each other and um, through those conversations and that building of community that way. So. Yeah. And if someone from our St. Catharines location, especially wanted to participate in this, yeah. if they thought, Hey, I, I would love to be in one of these friendships. Yeah. Uh, how could they do that? Would they just email you and start yeah. a conversation? Yeah, they would just send me an email um, if they're interested in getting um, to be a part of this. Um, yeah, it's been pretty cool. The support part of the three S's is um, that if there's like needs that may arise, um, whether it's like groceries or um, that kind of thing that is um, that is there, we want people to kind of do that as well. Um, but the surprise probably is my favorite part. Um, it's just, I do this for my friends, my friends do this for me, like kind of thing. Um, whether it's dropping off a dozen chocolate chip cookies or ordering a pizza to somebody's house, like those little things that just make you feel um, important and thought of and um, loved. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to see those things. And we've had, um, we have a donation of flowers coming in today that some of our uh, volunteers are going to be taking to their, um, their friends. So it's pretty cool to see some of that stuff kind of. Very cool. Hey, give us, give us one story of one of these kind of great reciprocal impacts in the the way that you guys have been trying to to foster this friendship that makes a difference without the programs. Yeah, so I there's one that stands out to me the most. I matched this um, gentleman with um, one of our past residents, um, and it just en- ended up not working out. He wasn't in the area anymore, and whatever. Um, so then I matched this guy with another gentleman and their friendship has just been absolutely incredible to hear stories and just see the reciprocal like friendship that has um, kind of developed. It's not just we're helping others. It's this beautiful friendship that really has developed. They chat every day. They, um, they meet for coffee um, in the driveway and um, yeah, it's just pretty cool. And they started to make plans of um, what they can kind of do in the future when all this COVID stuff kind of calms down and life goes, um, I don't know, things change a little bit when we can go to hockey games or whatever. Um, yeah, it's cool to see people like developing and thinking about plans that way. So that's, it's been super incredible. Um, Len Jansen has been helping me as well. We, we just got finished making phone calls to all the volunteers um, the other day, just to do little check-ins, make sure things are going well and see if they need anything from us. But um, it's been incredible to hear, um, just some of those like little stories that are, are just so beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, this has been something I, I would say that's inspired me 
across our ministry and the way that we've kept our eye on the end in mind, which is fostering this lifestyle through relationship, yeah. as opposed to focusing or over-focusing on the means to that end, which has typically been what our programs are. Yeah. And, and so, you know, COVID's taught us a lot. What, what would you say you've learned the most about actually fostering this lifestyle through these unlikely friendships? I think that, um, I think just that friendship is like super simple. Like there doesn't really need to be this like program that is implemented in order for friendship to develop. It can just be like, Hey, like, I think you guys would be good, good friends. We can we do it a little bit mindfully just to match people up. But, um, I think it's, it can just be super simple. There doesn't, there doesn't have to be any, um, I don't know, like, strings attached or anything like that it's just um yeah things can we don't need to overcomplicate things that everything can just be simple and we can just kind of boil it down to what that looks like a little bit yeah and that's a great encouragement because those of us who are listening who are you know maybe we've got some time on our hands we're looking for something to do we're, we're looking to be used by god and looking for god to 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 make changes and have impact in us mm-hmm. uh this one step that can feel awkward or daunting or what it's, it's actually way simpler than it even may seem. And, you know, I would just encourage everyone if we're, if we're thinking about that to reach out to you and even have a preliminary conversation to envision what this could actually look like, because I, I I would agree that, uh, you know, one of the learnings is just how simple it's, it's been to actually cultivate these unlikely friendships. It's been amazing. Yeah. It's been really, really cool to see. Uh, Hey, any final encouragements as we wrap up uh, or maybe even challenges to our members who are listening when it comes to being this missional church that extends compassion, particularly through friendship that makes a difference during this unprecedented time of crisis? Um, I think my my biggest um, challenge or encouragement would be um, just to simply like reach out to people. Um, If it's that neighbor that you're uh, might not get the get along with the best or friends that you haven't talked to in a while um, or just being in contact with your family. My family, uh, my mom's side, we have a Skype meeting every Wednesday and play games over Zoom and and that kind of stuff. I think um, we're all feeling um, that anxiety and stress um, because of what's happening. So I think it's just just super simple to reach out. Um, Yeah, just see how people are doing. Hey, let's get a coffee in the driveway kind of thing. Um, Yeah, pray alongside people. And I think it's also super um, important, just kind of going off what Mandy was chatting with uh, or about on Sunday, just um, celebrating those joys and those wins and and being super mindful to do that. Because I found um, even in my world lately that it's been so much easier to to focus on, oh, man, like all the negatives. And I don't know when I'll see my family. I don't like things are just a little bit crazy at the shelter today, like all those kind of like negative and not great things that um, we've been seeing, um, but that there's joys and like so much good that's happening. So, um, yeah, I think just to celebrate in those as well is is huge and, um, yeah, focus in on those things. I think that has changed my mindset a lot, um, going, going through all this COVID stuff. So yeah, practicing the discipline of celebration. And I appreciated your, your first encouragement too, that everyone could use a little more friendship these days. Totally. Yeah. A hundred percent. Everybody. Yeah, wherever that plays out, you know, 
open your eyes, reach out and, you know, be, be a friend to someone. That's great. Yeah. Erica, thanks for joining us today. And, and thanks even more for just for the way that you've been stepping up in just ridiculous and creative and outside of what you knew would be anything in the time zone of your job description kind of ways. <laughs> it's been wild to watch, but uh, really encouraging. And I hope all of us who've been listening are encouraged by uh, Erica's journey and her story and are, are inspired to contribute, whether it's in our location or specifically to the shelter in some of these ways that she's envisioned. So uh, look forward to connecting with everyone next week as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everyone. <laughs>